The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Russia leaving investors reeling as the world wonders what Putin's endgame really is. But have we hit a bottom? Futures pointing to a bit of a bounce back today. President Biden looking to hit Moscow where it hurts, in the wallet, targeting the nation's banks and wealthy citizens. Speaking of the president, Elon Musk firing new shots at the White House over his claims that the admin doesn't show enough love to the EV giant in new comments to CNBC. No more masks. Apple, the latest big name to come around on its pandemic policies, will tell you why. And just how bad is global inflation? One of the companies most exposed to nearly every kind will join us for an exclusive conversation all on this Wednesday, February 23rd. This is Worldwide Exchange. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on this very busy Wednesday. Let's get right now to your global markets first. And here in the U.S., stock futures, they are actually higher right now across the board, in fact. Not soaring, but Dow futures up more than 200 points. All the major indexes, futures indicating, again, a lot can happen, indicating an open above 1%. You can see fair value in the red. We had the exact opposite yesterday, down 500, then fair value in the green, and markets ended down. So either way, take it what you will, thin trading, but right now, we are in the green. All this coming off another rough session in what has been a rough year. The big three indexes all down more than 1% yesterday. The S&P 500 now down more than 10% from its record high, so technically in a market correction. But it is not just the big-name stocks. The small caps getting even smaller. The Russell 2000, with its loss yesterday, is now down nearly 20% from its early November highs. Think about that. One of the biggest indexes in the world down almost 20% in just about 90 days. Ouch. With stocks down, bonds were getting a bid lately, not today, but the 10-year yield is a little higher. Bonds selling a bit. The yield still, though, under 2%. And, of course, let's look at one of the other big market stories right now, and that is oil. Crude oil actually a bit lower right now, although still sort of creeping up toward $100 a barrel. Really two things to watch for that may be on the horizon that could slow the rise. Number one, another release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Don't know if it will happen, but it's possible. And number two... Any announcement of a nuclear deal with Iran that could put more Iranian oil legally back onto the market, get a combination of those, that could bring oil prices down for a bit. Still demand far outstripping supply, but in the near term, those are two possible headlines to watch. All right, around the world now, we actually had a higher session in Asia as well overnight. Shanghai Composite leading the gains up nearly 1%. Japanese markets were closed today. It is the emperor's birthday. And taking a look at the early trade in Europe, there is actually plenty of green across the screen. What a change a day makes. Yesterday, red everywhere. Today, a lot of green. And the major European markets like Germany up 
1%. Well, obviously, all of you investors out there may be laser-focused on the geopolitical tensions between Russia, Ukraine, and the United States, as well as tightening Fed policy and the reduction of that balance sheet. But your next guess says that markets are continuing to ignore the still compelling and often positive story on corporate earnings and corporate profit margins. Robert Teeter is head of the Investment Policy and Strategy Group at Silvercrest Asset Management and joins us now. I understand it. Uh, Robert, the headlines are screaming Ukraine. They're screaming Putin. They're screaming inflation and the Fed. Should the investors, though, maybe take a break and focus more on what companies are actually screaming? I think that's a great way of thinking of the situation, Brian, and thanks for having me on again. Um, one of the things that's going on here is we've seen a correction in valuation, but we haven't changed, seen a change in the underlying fundamental picture. And I think the reasons that you pointed to earlier with regard to the tension in Russia and Ukraine has dipped P.E. ratios by about two points. So we look at things going on with uh, sentiment in terms of the San Francisco Fed sentiment, looking at Google Trends, things like that. It looks like it's been a valuation correction. However, we don't think the underlying fundamental picture has changed. And so for investors with a little bit of a longer time horizon, willing to think out you know, towards the back half of this year, um, we think this could be a pretty interesting opportunity here. Well, as stocks have come down, I just mentioned the Russell 2000 off nearly 20% from its highs. Valuations, to be fair, were on the higher end of historical averages. They've obviously now come down. Earnings estimates have been pretty good. Do you feel, Robert, like the overall market is getting more toward a, an equilibrium, that most of the selling may be close to over, given that valuations are now beginning to come back a little in line with their historical medians? I think that's right. I think that's a good way of characterizing it. You know, the Fed story has been uh, in the headlines for quite some time. I think investors have digested that. It's no surprise that uh, Fed rate hikes are coming, that interest rates are headed a bit higher. Although, as you noted, we're still around 2% on the 10-year, and that supports a, a reasonably high, above-average valuation um, in our view. And so I think we are at a bit of an equilibrium here. Sure, the Russia situation could get a bit worse in coming weeks, um, but typically investors look through these geopolitical events. And so once we start to get some degree of predictability there, uh, we think we'll get back on track for a bit of evaluation recovery and a focus again on those strong earnings that we think are ahead this year. Listen, let's hope that this situation resolves itself maybe more peacefully. There is a lot of talk about what may happen next. We don't know, Robert. No, you don't know. I don't know. All the, quote, experts don't know. We can only guess what Putin's going to do. If he, however, moves further into Ukraine, I'm not asking you to be a geopolitical expert, but if we get an escalation, do you think the markets could still be vulnerable to another leg down? I do think so. I do think there could be a bit more downside here if the situation worsens. Um, it is unpredictable, as you noted, but I think a, a fair way of estimating additional downside here would be another 5 to 10% to the downside. That would move PEs further down, move them in line with their long-term averages, again, with a lot of support from very low interest rates here. So, you know, we don't necessarily see this turning into uh, one of the, the massive bear markets that, that we've seen from time to time every 10 years or so. This is still within the range of a normal correction, albeit with some unpredictability. There could be a little more downside in the short term, uh, but over the course of the year, we're looking for earnings to carry the day. Well, hopefully that's what the market is going to reset to. I look forward to the day, Robert. We can actually just talk about earnings value, boring old earnings and earnings valuation and not what may be the future of southern Ukraine. Robert Teeter of Silvercrest, really appreciate your views. Nervous time. Thank you very much. All right, Thank let's you. get right now to some of this morning's top corporate stories outside of what's happening over there, including 
Apple apparently easing some of its COVID rules in stores. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. What's going on? Hey, Brian. Good morning. That's right. So, yeah, Apple will reportedly no longer require customers to wear masks when visiting its stores in states where protocols have been eased. This, according to Bloomberg, the report says masks will still be required in states that have not relaxed COVID protocols. It adds that Apple is also preparing to resume in-person classes at its stores. Virgin Galactic has announced plans to outsource major parts of the assembly of its future spacecraft. The space tourism startup revealing the move in its fourth quarter results, which were mixed. Virgin says the move will help lower costs and speed up production of its ships, allowing for the production of up to six spaceships per year. Those ships are expected to be able to fly weekly, a higher frequency than the company's two older designs. And Tesla has reached a settlement with the EPA over its claims the EV maker violated the Clear Air Act. The agency said Tesla violated the rules specifically when it came to air pollutants from the vehicle coating operations at its Fremont, California facility from 2016 through 2019. And as CNBC previously reported, the paint shop at the plant had multiple fires during those years. And Brian Tesla will pay a penalty of $275,000, which is a drop in the bucket compared to the $2.3 billion it made in net income during the fourth quarter. Yeah, not not that much of a hit, but it will say this, not making comment on mask efficacy. It is nice to see smiles. Is it it not, Silvana? It absolutely is, Brian. Yes, yes, it is. Maybe we'll, we feel like it feels like something has really changed. I'm knocking on wood. Silvana, we'll see, see you in a bit. Thank you Sounds very much. Good, All right. Yes, let's hope. All right. We are just getting started here on a busy day. And when we come back, the latest from Ukraine is a growing coalition of Western leaders join America in slapping sanctions on Russia and some of its wealthiest citizens. Just how bad is global inflation right now? Our exclusive conversation with the new CEO of one of the world's biggest machine makers. And then cryptos getting a little bit of a pop today. Bitcoin and others testing investor patience, though lately a lot more to do. Futures, they're higher. And we are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. President Biden announcing sanctions against Russia yesterday over Vladimir Putin's order for troops to enter the eastern part of the nation. The sanctions will target two Russian banks, although leaving three of the most commodity-focused banks off the list for some reason. 
Those sanctions, though, do go after some of Russia's wealthiest citizens. In the meantime, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announcing he will not meet with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov tomorrow, as had been announced last week. State Department said at the time the meeting was contingent on, quote, no further Russian invasion of Ukraine, which obviously we know occurred. NBC News' Aaron McLaughlin joining us now in Kiev, Ukraine. Aaron, what is the latest where you are? Hey, Brian, here in Kyiv, they're preparing for the worst. Last night we heard from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky call up the country's reservists, stopping short of a full general mobilization. This is violence continues in the Donbass region of Ukraine. According to the Ukrainian military, one soldier has been killed in the last 24 hours. They've seen an increased use of heavy, of heavy weaponry over the line of contact. We heard from the NATO Secretary General yesterday say that they're watching as Russian troops, Russian equipment are pouring into the separatist areas of Donbass. And we, of course, also heard from President Putin yesterday say he considers the whole of the region to be part of these so-called two new republics, which, of course, includes government-controlled areas seen as raising the likelihood of war. We heard from the Ukrainian foreign minister uh, this morning calling for even more sanctions than what was announced yesterday, saying the sanctions are essential to stopping further escalation. But I've been speaking to Ukrainians here, and they say they are thankful for the sanctions as announced so far. Speaking to a former Zelensky advisor who says he understands the phased approach that the White House and its allies are taking, saying you don't want to swiftly destroy a nuclear power. It'll lead to chaos. Slowly suffocate is the right tactic. That certainly gives you a sense of the mood here in Kyiv. Brian. Yeah, and Aaron, I, you, you probably listen in your reporting, and we really appreciate you being there. First off, stay safe, but you're out and about. You're speaking with ordinary, everyday citizens of Kiev and of Ukraine. What are they saying? What are they telling you? What are they worried about? Do they believe this will escalate, or is it almost a little bit of life as normal? What are you seeing? I would say there's been a marked change in mood in people here. If you talk to people last week, they were taking these dire assessments from the West extremely seriously. They were preparing. Uh, they were watching what was happening. But there was always sort of a sense that, oh, no, uh, President Putin wouldn't go after the capital. He wouldn't go after the entire country. That sort of opinion seems to have changed following President Putin's address earlier in the week, in which he essentially said he does not see Ukraine as a country, that he sees it as part of Russia. Now you're seeing an escalation in preparations here in Kyiv. Just today in Parliament, they're discussing the possibility of uh, loosening the gun laws here in Ukraine. There's talk of declaring martial law in parts of the country. You're really starting to see Kyiv and the rest of Ukraine uh, get on more of a war footing. Brian. Uh, great on the ground reporting. A big change in just a matter of days. Aaron, we're glad you're there. Be well. Stay safe. Look forward to more. Aaron, thank you very much. All right, still on deck. A big switch. Bad news for gamers. Activision hitting pause on one of its most popular games. And as we head to break, stock futures, they are higher. Triple digits across the board. Oil a bit lower as well. A lot of green on your screen. So good morning. Grab a coffee. Wex returns right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Rising commodity prices, inflation, and geopolitical uncertainty are causing tough terrain for some of the world's biggest machinery makers and manufacturers. CNH Industrial is a multinational agriculture and construction company. You may not know the company, but you definitely know their brands. International Harvester Tractors, Case Construction Equipment. And they have got a new CEO, a man you also probably know, Scott Wine, formerly of Polaris. Well, Scott Wine sat down with us after his first investor day as CEO. We began by asking him about how the risk of a Russian invasion could impact a globalized ag machinery company like his. One of the things I talked about with our, uh, the investment community that was here today for our Capital Markets Day was geopolitical risk. And little did I know when I put that on the slide that we were going to have the, the situation in Russia and Ukraine develop right before us. But we were ready for it. You know, we've anticipated these types of events in our plans. You know, what, what's most important to me is we've got 37 employees in Ukraine. We've got a broad dealer network. So taking care of them and their families is our first priority. We've taken, we've ma- taken those steps. You know, obviously it's uh, difficult. Wheat prices are going up. We saw that. Um, right now, we don't foresee any impact on our business in that most of the activity, if you want to call it activity, is happening in the, uh, the western or the eastern part of Ukraine, and our operations are generally in the we- uh, western part of Ukraine. So, you know, we're watching it very closely, but we feel like we've got uh, our finger on the pulse and our team's done a really good job of being prepared for this. And obviously, uh, rooting and hoping for those employees and your dealers that are remain safe in a very chaotic time. Uh, we have seen the price of commodities like uh, nickel and steel go up. You use that to build your machines. But we've also seen the price of agricultural commodities. You just referenced wheat go up. What is the trade-off? Do you, do you benefit from higher agriculture prices but get hurt on the input side on the steel? How do you balance out what has been really a crazy commodity market the last few months? Well, I mean, Brandon, you're kind of describing what's happened for the last year and a half or so. I mean, inflation over the last nine months is really out of control. And I think maybe perhaps in the U.S. at least the Fed will take some action to bring that back in line. But, you know, we've been dealing with these high commodity prices that are both helpful on the in, on the outport side and hurtful on the input side for, for quite a while. I mean, we got, you know, almost 10 percent price last year. We've got, uh, you know, six or seven percent baked in this year. I mean, it is very difficult to stay ahead of the cost input, but that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, ultimately, the, the better value we bring to our customers with our our, whether it's a combine or a tractor, or the technology we put in them, the better it is you to get that price. But certainly it is, uh, it's a difficult task to stay ahead of. You, you just referenced the federal government. Is there anything that is a CEO of a major global multinational company that you would like to see them do? 
Well, it's more what I would like to see them not do. I think the regulatory environment is getting increasingly tough, and it's ultimately uh, very unhelpful. I think the, the inflation is largely driven by this huge influx of cash that they've put in. Um, so I, I think if the government would step back a bit and just let the economy and the free market operate, we would be better off. But I, I doubt they would want to listen to that. You got fertilizer costs up. Farmers are getting more, hopefully, for their crops if they're able to pass it through. Probably depends on the, on the farmer and the specific market they're in. Uh, does that help you ultimately? High fuel prices, people looking for more fuel efficient machinery, or does it hurt because some of these combines can run a, a half a million dollars? Yeah, obviously, Brian. You know, it's, it's it is interesting that you know the investment we made in Raven. Uh, industries gives us better precision technology, better autonomy, and ultimately, if we can give our farmers, you know, productivity and yield are the two things that they value most. And if we can help them with those things, and that's what our equipment does, they are willing to pay up for it. I mean, what we've seen in the Midwest markets for corn, example, when we put our precision solutions in, they can save forty percent on their input costs, and that's ultimately, you know, contributing to their their farm income, which ultimately expands and enlongs the cycle for us. So. You know, it is, uh, it's a difficult equation, but we're trying to give our farmers the tools they need to offset that higher input cost. Final question, wrapping up kind of a two-parter. You talked about innovation, sustainability, uh, and profitability. You want to raise your free cash flow, raise your, your margins by, I think, about 3%. Uh, but at the same time, you want to innovate to make sustainability, things like methane to run tractors. How do you, how do you balance out those? Because it's, it's expensive to change engine technology completely in some of these big machines, which have been running the same way effectively for, I don't know, 50 years. You know, Brian, it would, you would think I paid you to ask that question because our sister division of Echo Group, which we just spun off, provides our engine. They're leaders in LNG solutions for heavy-duty trucks in Europe, and we are literally just taking that exact same engine and putting it into a tractor. We've got partnerships with Benjamin, a supplier to make a circular you know, methane environment on a farm, um, which we believe is a great environmental solution and a great uh, profitable solution for the farmers. So uh, we are using an asset-like approach to bring some of these great solutions to our customers. Using maybe what comes out of a cow's tailpipe, for lack of a better term, to make sure nothing bad comes out of the tractor's tailpipe, for that, lack of that, a way to say that. That is exactly right. Farms, not just cows, but also uh, biodegradable um, farm inputs, you can create a lot of methane on a farm, and it's just it, very cheap fuel for our tractors. All right, our very big thanks there to CNH Industrial CEO Scott Wine. Certainly a stock to watch. All right, coming up, the random but painful stat on just how hard a large chunk of the stock market has taken. We've got some stats for you, but is it buy low, sell high? right or it's supposed to be so carrie firestone is here with the stocks that she is snapping up and as prices fall and just gentle nudge if you haven't already follow our podcast stock futures they are higher oil a bit lower and we are back right after this Call this Whipsaw Wednesday. Stocks looking to bounce back in what has been a tough year for many investors. Stock futures, at least for now, are higher. President Biden trying to use money to slow Russia's move, but leaving some of Russia's biggest banks off the list. So will these sanctions actually work? And Elon Musk tells us about his war of words with the White House. Wait till you hear what he said. It is Wednesday, February 23rd. This is Worldwide Exchange. 
Well, welcome and welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right now to your global markets and your money. First, right here in the United States, stock futures for now, as I just said, are looking reasonably good. We are seeing gains across the board, but keep in mind that fair value number, which I know can be a little bit confusing. Remember yesterday, the opposite. We were down big there, and then fair value turned positive. Well, this is what we're seeing today. We're seeing the futures markets up, fair value for the S&P and NASDAQ, actually a little in the red. So I'm not going to call that neutral, but I will say I'm not expecting maybe that kind of pop that you're seeing now at the open. Hope to be wrong, but we shall see. All this coming off another big losing day for the major averages. The big three indexes all down more than 1% on Tuesday. And with that move, the S&P 500 now down more than 10% from its record high. So technically in a correction. And here is a a stat that is random but painful. So apologies in advance. There are 193 members of the S&P 500 that are now down more than 20% from their high. So about 38% of the index is in a, quote, bear market. Even worse, 10 of those have dropped by more than half from their recent peaks. Think about that. Have dropped more than 50% since late November or mid-December. Paramount? And Moderna, the worst of the bunch, down 70% from their recent highs just a couple of months ago. Well, in better news, there were six stocks in the S&P that did hit new highs yesterday. Five of those six are oil names. One is defense contractor General Dynamics. Oil and weapons. Think about that. All right, well, there is some shade being thrown at Germany, speaking of, over Ukraine from one of Wall Street heavyweights. Jeff Gunlock launching this little nugget on Twitter, quote, If there is a market on the probability of Germany upping its proportional NATO contributions, let me know so I can short it. In other words, Gunlock taking a big shot at Germany for likely not doing its part to help resolve the situation. By the way, a situation that likely impacts them more than any other nation, with the exception of Ukraine itself. All right, more on that in a bit. Right now, let's talk more about crypto, because this morning, Bitcoin and many of the major coins are trading higher. We're taking a 38,000 level after sinking to a more than two-week low of roughly 36,400 yesterday. Bitcoin, though, like the stock market, has had a rough year, down about 17% in 2022, and now more than 40% from its all-time high set, like stocks, in November. So what is really driving the action on Bitcoin? Is it the Fed? Is it inflation? Is it something completely different? Let's bring in Jethika Cho, head of OTC options trading at uh, cryptocurrency exchange Kraken. Uh, Jessica, uh, thank you very much. Jessica, thank you very much for joining us. It is... Um, Bitcoin was designed to be decentralized, independent from fiat currency, kind of its own thing. But we are, I guess we are learning that maybe it's not as decoupled as some had thought or some had hoped. It does appear to be moving with the overall market. Do you expect that to continue or will Bitcoin ultimately do its own thing? Well, you know, I think Bitcoin definitely has 
elements of a number of different assets, um, some which are designed to be more anti-correlated to the market and some which aren't. So unlike something like gold, which maybe is a little more one-dimensional, sure, you can melt it down for jewelry, but that's not why people own gold. You know, gold is kind of one-dimensional in its commodity nature. Bitcoin has elements of a commodity and fixed and issuance, elements of a currency. Anybody can use it for payments. Nobody controls it and elements of a technology and a technology stock. Um, buying Bitcoin is almost like an equity type investment. And I think we're seeing the latter piece play out. Um, really, though, the lack of decoupling is uh, a result of, I think, the broader adoption, particularly on the institutional side, because now there are a lot of institutions that are participants in both the macro market, the S&P, the NASDAQ, as well as Bitcoin, as well as VIX and currencies and commodities. And so when they're trading, they're trading a lot of these things together, and that's going to flow into Bitcoin and into those flows. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does definitely impact the short-term price moves more than one might expect as compared to some of the long-term trends that we see. And Jethika, I'm not going to call Bitcoin new. It's actually been around for more than a decade. It's new to a lot of our viewers and investors, but for those who have been deep in the markets, it's been there for a long time, but it is still new enough who have not seen an inflationary environment, which, by the way, goes to a lot of people on Wall Street as well. So is this kind of Bitcoin and, and other cryptos learning curve through this first bout of serious inflation? And if so, how do you kind of see it playing out? Yeah, it is. I mean, as you mentioned, Bitcoin is still fairly new. It's also still fairly low in terms of market cap. You know, if you look at it, uh, Bitcoin's well under a trillion dollar market cap. That's the size of one large stock. And so if you start to think about it as a an asset that would be on a global and macro scale, it's still very early and it's still very small. And so I think I would say a lot of people in the Bitcoin space were kind of surprised in terms of how Bitcoin did behave on this sell off in the market and how correlated it was. And so I think we're learning not just the uh, the fundamental, the inflation side, what it looks like in an environment with rates rising, but also what it looks like with this more diverse participant base and active traders who are trading in and out of it based on where the opportunity lies. Yeah, really kind of a crazy world. I mean, with with inflation and watching Bitcoin, how much of this, though, uh, Jethika, is just sort of the, I don't want to call them paper hands, I'll get added, you know, whatever, but just people that maybe were using leverage, things moved down, they got called out, margin call, or just had to sell to raise cash. How much of this recent weakness do you think is perhaps leverage related, options related, and that the, the, the diamond hands, the, you know, the, the long-term hodlers, they're still there? Who's selling? Who's buying? Right. Well, so I think a lot of the leverage has really been flushed out over the last year or so. So it's actually not, I would say this most recent tick down is not leverage related. Um, the demand probably falls into three different categories. The first are the ones that you alluded to, the long-term holders, hodlers. They're kind of all invested. They're not going anywhere. Um, they also have already allocated all of their capital. So they don't really have a lot of fresh powder on the sidelines, but they're um, diamond hands, you know, in it for the long term and really have been hardened over multiple bear markets. So to them, this correction is not that big of a deal. I would say the second category are some of the institutions that are starting to work their way into Bitcoin as an element of their portfolio as a diversified asset, substituting the traditional commodities, gold um, with Bitcoin instead. 
And so they do have cash on the sideline. They're maybe doing some variation of dollar cost averaging, but I would say they're being more opportunistic in terms of buying dips, in terms of where they want to allocate. And I would say the recent correction has probably led them to be more patient. You know, let's wait till after March. Let's see what the Fed does. Let's see how the market reacts. And we can always deploy capital later, even if that means at slightly higher levels. Um, And then the last piece are really the more active traders. They're rebalancing portfolios. They're looking for opportunities. And I think that between the volatility in the market and a little bit of the self-fulfilling prophecy of Bitcoin moving with the market has led some of the flows out of crypto um, into into other assets that are more um, potentially more inflation hedges. Uh, interesting times in a new inflationary crypto digital world. Also the real world. Jessica Chow, thank you very much. Appreciate your insight. Valuable. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Now to some of this morning's other top corporate money stories. Tesla CEO Elon Musk accusing President Biden of ignoring his electric vehicle company in favor of paying attention to the legacy and unionized automakers. Even an email exchange with CBC's Brian Schwartz must comment on his ongoing war of words at the White House, writing in part, quote, the notion of a feud is not quite right. Biden has pointedly ignored Tesla at every turn and falsely stated to the public that GM leads the electric car industry. When, in fact, Tesla produced over 300,000 electric vehicles last quarter and GM produced 26. Ouch. Musk also seeking to assure White House officials who are concerned that he would do something or say something embarrassing if he were to speak at an administration event, saying, quote, he would do the right thing. You can read more of Musk's comments at CNBC.com. Fans of the popular Call of Duty video game series are going to have to wait for the next installment. According to Bloomberg, Activision Blizzard will delay the game that had been planned for next year, marking the first time the franchise will be without an annual release in nearly 20 years. Years. All right, coming up here on WEX, the Biden administration looking to hit Russia over Ukraine with a new wave of sanctions. But will they work? One former hedge fund manager says no. We're going to find out why. That's coming up. Stock futures are on the rise, oil falling a bit, and we're down right after this. All right, time for your morning RBI. And today it is all about what else? The Russia factor. Over this hour, we've talked about politics and we've certainly talked about stocks. But why don't we talk about another major thing being squeezed by Putin? And that is the global commodities market, specifically some key metals and some key foods. First up, nickel and palladium, two major industrial metals. Prices for both are up big over the last few weeks. Nickel up 17% this year, palladium up 23%. And while palladium is still off its highs of last year, a very different story for nickel. Nickel prices are now 10-year highs. Remember, Russia controls a huge chunk of the world's nickel supplies, and inventories were tight coming into this. This price spike is bad news for steel companies and electric car battery makers, because nickel is a key component in both, meaning costs will likely just continue to climb. Palladium also heavily used in cars, and they're catalytic converters. So the car makers could really get pinched on both sides, steel and nickel and palladium. And it's not just those two. Aluminum prices are also on the way up. Of course, aluminum is used in many car bodies. Maybe this is one reason that Ford, GM, Tesla, and Rivian stocks all got hit hard on yesterday. By the way, a warning that we tweeted about possibly happening on Monday night. But even if you don't care about metals, you may care about meals. 
And this Russia chaos could cause prices to go up even more for both wheat and corn. Russia and Ukraine are both exporters of both. In fact, Russia is the world's largest exporter of wheat. And at a time when food prices are already on the rise all over the world, more spikes in costs could be another gut punch to an already frustrated American consumer. So, while we talk a lot about Russia's impact on the oil and gas markets, it is much, much more than just that. It could be inflationary on many other levels as well, at a time when many in America and the world simply may not literally to be able to afford it. Random, but expensive. We'll talk more about Russia right after this short break. Stock futures, they're up, and we're back right after this. I think our country can empower the black community by making sure it has a more substantial role throughout the various financial institutions in America. For example, more appointments and positions at the U.S. Federal Reserve, the U.S. Treasury Department, the Security and Exchange Commission, and yes, more seats on corporate boards. Empowerment means having greater access to and being active participants in the making of economic policy in America. All right, here we go. We are seeing a little bit of a better day in stock futures right now. Dow futures are up 200 points. It's about six-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ futures up a little nicer, up more than 1% right now. So maybe a bit of a whipsaw or bounce back Wednesday, whatever you might want to call it. After yesterday's haircut, we're seeing oil come down. Bonds are getting bought once again. Yields coming up in bonds. So we are seeing a lot more green on the screen today. What changed between yesterday and today? Well, really nothing, but we're going to find out if market sentiment does change today. Still a long way to go. All right, back now to the main story, of course, and that is Russia. Biden hoping to deter Putin in Ukraine with a new round of sanctions, hitting two banks and its wealthy citizens that were thought to be close to Putin. But is this nearly enough? Jay Newman is a former hedge fund manager with Elliott Management and the author of the novel Under Money, which dives into the world of dark money, of which he is an expert. So that's why we have you on, Jay. Thank you. Uh, I have argued this is largely about money. Others have disagreed. But listen, if it's not about money, then why would a money ban be any kind of a solution here? Of dark money, which that's why we have Yon Jay. Thank uh, you. Uh, I have argued this is largely about money. Others have disagreed. But listen, if it's not about money, then why would a money ban be any kind of a solution? All right, we're going to get Jay. We're having technical issues here. You don't want to hear my voice again. I already said it once. Jay, if you can hear me, you're hearing me and you, which is just weird and creepy. Trust me, nobody for more than me. So we're going to try to fix these technical problems. Joining us now is Kerry Firestone, chair and CEO of Aureus Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Hopefully the viewer will just hear one of us at this time, Kerry. Uh, welcome. We need your voice of reason right now. There's a lot of new players in this market, millions of people have come into the equity markets the last few years. They've only really known sort of good times since the pandemic lows in equities. They've never invested or even lived through inflation. What are some of your guiding principles for staying calm in an uncertain world right now? <laughs> Thank you, Brian, for that calm introduction. 
So I, I would tell people first that in almost every year, the market has a correction of 10% or more, except for last year. Last year was when everyone flooded into the market as new investors, and we didn't really see that. So this is their experience. The market's down 10% from the high in January 3rd. The Nasdaq is down more. There are 138 stocks. This is interesting, I think with market caps of over $5 billion that are down 40% or more, 40% or more from their 12-month high. So those stocks have been in a real bear market, and those are often the stocks that new investors have bought, you know, whether it's Robinhood, Peloton, DraftKings, you know, et cetera, Moderna, Novavax. So there are opportunities out there. You need to, though, be calm about when you step back in. Because we don't know exactly where the bottom is. This is the time to look, make your list, think about at what price you would add to position or enter a position. Many of the stocks on that list were way too high. But there are companies that have great fundamentals where their multiples are now below market multiples. I mean, as an example, PayPal. Uh, that stock was trading perhaps in the stratosphere. It's come down to earth. It sells for a multiple on next year's earnings that's less than Coke or Pepsi. And that's on that list. Yeah. So managements have given very, very kind of calm, what? Uh, dis disappointing guidance. OK, go on. Yeah, I'm trying to listen, Kerry. Let's let's before we get to the other picks, I, I we, let's just stay on PayPal for a second. I don't understand what's going sure. on at PayPal. I mean, everything you buy online, you have the option. PayPal is there. And often it gets clicked, right? Pay by credit card or maybe Apple Pay, but PayPal is there. The business seemed to be expanding. E-commerce is growing. It seems like an easy play. Clearly, it's been anything but. What do you think is happening with PayPal? Yeah, well, if you look at the chart of PayPal and next to the chart of FIS, you know, that all of the payment companies have had just this incredible collapse in their stock prices. Their businesses have grown. They had tremendous you know, pandemic years because everyone shopped online and this accelerated the growth at PayPal. When they gave guidance, you know, it was modest and the market has penalized every company, whether it's Netflix, Facebook, PayPal, even Home Depot yesterday. Home Depot came off, you know, a year or so where everyone in America was building their own deck. And they reported a strong quarter over all those incredible gains a year ago and guided, you know, somewhat modestly. And the stock came down more than 8%. So this has been the type of environment where investors want to hear great news. If they don't, they take apart the stock. And in payments, it's been much worse. So every name within that category. Now look at, you know, Shopify is another example. It's down, I think, 55% from its peak. So they've gotten killed and we think that, you know, within that wreckage, there are some names that are very interesting. Yeah. And one thing we do in good times and bad. Well, my son has a book. It's called Everybody Poops, but we won't go into that. But what we all what we all do in <laughs> good <not>. times and <laughs> bad times is produce waste. Uh, and you think WCN sure. and maybe some of the other waste management companies. You see where I was going with that, Carrie. Don't worry. That the waste management I companies I, I got you. are going to be maybe not maybe not recession proof, but maybe uh, Putin proof. Yeah, exactly. So there are names you know I put on my list. Waste management is a company that's growing nicely. It's domestic, 
It, it focuses on sort of mid-sized cities. There are inflation clauses in most of their contracts. And if you think about the pandemic, we didn't produce within commercial settings the type of trash that we normally do. That's starting to come back. So we think that Waste Connection is the type of stock that performs well in an uncertain environment, particularly one with international, you know, kind of stirrings and ramifications. Uh, I also put CME Group on that because that's a company that gets tremendous benefit from, you know, volatility in the markets. They have a big interest um, uh, rate sort of index and their volumes go up uh, dramatically during periods where interest rates rise. They also do futures and on their oil index, and they also trade every type of uh, cryptocurrency. So we think that's, a, a, you know, an idea for investors looking for something that kind of fits this volatile time. Um, S&P Global, they measure all finan- financial data. Yep. There's a lot of it around there, lots of uncertainty. Finishing up with, with um, consolidated IHS market, and that will add... Um, a lot to the bottom line and synergies that we don't think the market appreciates. And, and, and even Amazon I put on the list because the stocks underperformed for a year and a half in terms of um, accelerating the, um, the use of Amazon during the pandemic. That definitely happened. It's, it's around 40 times um, earnings. So that multiple has come way down, but it continues to grow very nicely. Yeah, you know, you brought up S&P Global. I mean, we talk about the S&P 500 standard and pours. This is a giant company. I don't think a lot of people understand the size and scope. Obviously, I'm going to be at the Zero Week Conference in Houston a couple of weeks. By the way, it's going to be huge. That's IHS Market. That you know, they're, they're buying that. Right. This company is a beast when it comes to financial data, financial information, news. It's, it's kind of the, the publicly traded Bloomberg in, in a way. Exactly. And when you you think about energy markets, which right now everyone's focused on because of Russia and they own plats and and that provides a lot of energy data, but prescription data, all all types of, you know, financial health care commodities. It's just a behemoth that the market has, you know, has not, we believe, really understood what the synergies will result from from that acquisition are going to be. So, yeah, we think it's really good. We like it. We're talking waste management. We're talking about paying for stuff online. We're talking about oil and global data and intelligence. And we always love, Carrie, your data and intelligence. Thank you for getting up early again for us. Carrie Firestone, thanks. Thanks. All right. Nearly every sector of the markets is in, you guessed it, negative territory so far this year. Everything, of course, except oil and gas. But among the worst performers is consumer discretionary. Joining us now is a man who not only knows sectornomics, but as the parent of young children, probably also knows the book <laughs> that I just referenced. Everybody poops. Everybody does. It is a real book. It, it is, and it's in bathrooms across the country, too, just, you know, from a juxtapositional standpoint. Anyway, Brian, to your point, the consumer discretionary sector has lagged the broader market over the past year. And there are a number of storylines that are playing out right now, ranging from higher inflation, consumer sentiment to electric vehicles and, of course, the COVID recovery. Now, one of the groups that's closely watched as part of that pandemic recovery story is travel. And over the past six months, we've seen a bit of a divergence in which travel stocks are recovering quickly 
and which ones are taking a little bit longer, taking a breather. Now, the big winners over that time period have been those hotel and booking stocks, as you can see here. We're talking names like Expedia, Marriott, Hilton, Booking Holdings. All of those names are up about 20 percent or more in just the last six months. And some have hit recent all time highs over the course of the last week. But the same cannot be said for some things like the cruise lines, with both Carnival and Norwegian trading in negative territory over the last six months. Royal Caribbean, by the way, has fared a little bit better, up 6% in that time frame, as you can see here. But the broader discretionary sector is still trailing those hotel and booking names for sure. And by the way, over in the industrial sector, the big U.S. airlines are trading more in line with those cruise stocks, up about 9% or less in the last six months or so. So as Brian, we continue to watch and try to get to the other side of this pandemic. We'll see how quickly demand can recover for those cruise lines and airlines. They took a breather since there was pandemic lows back in March of 2020. I'll send things back over to you. Great stuff on Sectronomics. We won't get into the other topic. Dom Chu, always love seeing you, my friend. Thank you very much. Folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm off for a couple of days, so I'm going to see you next Tuesday. But we got a lot more coverage all day long as well. Squawk Box will pick up the coverage next. Have a spectacular day. Futures, they're up. Oil, it's down. You're welcome. I'll see you on Tuesday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.